You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome and happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to uh, FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And with me today, our usual Monday guest, uh, FanRag's Jim Finch. We got lots of news to cover, a lot of standouts just from yesterday's play alone. Uh, We'll cover all of that, break down the Red Sox roster for fantasy purposes, and take a look at some of the dilemmas that Jim and I are going to face in our upcoming drafts as far as the end game is concerned. Uh, We talk about a lot of players as being worth a late round flyer. You can't get them all. So we're going to look at a handful of them and sort them out and, and uh, try to prioritize some of those end game options. So Jim, how are you doing this Monday? Uh, could be better. We had a little bit of snow last week and then I've got a bad back to begin with. So it's like playing Russian roulette anytime I shovel and this time they won. So I've been laying around all week and just playing catch up all weekend on anything I missed in baseball. Well, you, I, you know, you kind of found the silver lining, I guess. Uh, that does not sound like a great way to spend the weekend, but sounds like you made the most of it. Yeah, well, well, anytime you can just lay around and just read baseball and play around, it's always a good thing. So I can't really be too upset, but could be better. Yeah, you know, you had uh, some college basketball, if that's your sort of thing. Uh, you know, a lot, lot to occupy your time. Uh, and there was cer- certainly a lot to occupy us today because we got a lot of news to get to uh, and a couple of rotation items that are relevant, um, I think just in general, maybe more so for deep leaguers. But anybody who's in the head-to-head league who's been speculating on some relief-eligible starting pitchers, uh, these are ones you may want to pay attention to. The Royals have named Nate Carnes as their fifth starter. So uh, he's one who, uh, in some formats, depending on the eligibility uh, rules, may be able to use, uh, be used in a relief spot. But that also means that Travis Wood and Chris Young, who are very much in the same boat, uh, they will not be in the rotation to start the year. And I'll admit I already have a couple of shares of Travis Wood. So for me, personally, in a selfish way, this was not welcome news. But you know, we knew that this one was going to, uh, if not go down to the wire, certainly was, you know, could have gone in any direction. And uh, another one, the Padres, uh, they don't have their rotation filled out yet. But uh, according to MLB.com, Yulisha Seen, Jared Weaver, and Clayton Richard are all assured of rotation spots. So Richard, another one who I personally have been speculating on for uh, that uh, starting pitcher as relief pitcher or uh, as abbreviated SPARP for that SPARP appeal, uh, he's uh, actually got a uh, spot nailed down. So... Uh, those are two fairly late-breaking news items, but let's, uh, like I said, there's a lot to get to, so let's uh, move right along. Jason Kipnis has a shoulder inflammation, so he's going to be out for another four to five weeks. So first of all, Jim, uh, how does this impact you in terms of how you're going to approach Kipnis on draft day? Um, given the depth at second base, I would probably bump him down a little. I mean, last year was sort of a breakout year. He's Always shown decent power, decent speed, but never has had enough of each to put together that one great season. So last year was sort of a surprise. I'm not, I wasn't fully buying into that to begin with. I sort of downgraded his numbers from last year anyway. So I would probably put, push him down to maybe uh, probably outside the top 12, I'd say. 
I mean, he's only going to miss the first month, so he could come back. I mean, he should come back, and he should be relatively uh, fantasy-worthy, but that first month of time missing with all the depth at second base, he has to be somewhat downgraded. Yeah, I agree, and uh, I'm actually trying to pull up my rankings here because I, I know I had him right around 12th, and uh, fortunately, my browser is just completely frozen up on me. So <laughs> we'll see if those come back. But he certainly will be below my top 12. Um, I think that's that's fair to say. Um, you had him now, at 11. Okay. Okay. Well, um, now there's uh, some potential fallout. Again, we're looking at four to five weeks. So in terms of once the regular season starts, we're looking at, you know, barring uh, a further uh, uh, setback that, Kipnis won't even miss a full month, but uh, there there are some potential replacements there. Eric Gonzalez, who will certainly would have certainly made the team anyway as a utility player, he could uh, play at third with Jose Ramirez shifting over to second, and then a couple other third base op- options: Giovanni Urshela and Richie Schaefer. And this is a situation where, particularly with Schaefer, who's had some power potential for a while. Um, I would have some interest in him if there were any place for him to get shifted to once Kipnis gets back, but I just don't see it unless uh, you know he were to ter- start taking some reps in the outfield, maybe. But uh, you know, it's not. I don't think it's a situation like we had with a, a year ago with Jose Ramirez, where he because of Brantley being down, Ramirez got that chance to show what he could do early in the season, and then he was able to shift over to third because. Uh, Juan Uribe just was not really a formidable roadblock. I don't see that. Uh, do you, you see uh, any potential here for any of those uh, third base fill-ins to uh, have a shelf life more than two or three weeks? No, it's basically like you said, unless something happens with Brantley and an injury opens up an opportunity for them, they're just a one-month fill-in to where maybe in a roto league you want to take advantage if they have a hot start. Otherwise, after April, they're really not going to be anyone to pay attention to. Yeah. Well, um, we have a couple of uh, uh, current uh, pl- uh, situations, playing time situations to look into here. Josh Donaldson is making his return today. Last I looked, he was 0 for 1 with a walk uh, with the Blue Jays today. Now he's uh, DHing. And I mentioned Brantley, and Brantley is going to make his Cact- Cactus League debut, making his long awaited return from all of his shoulder woes. And he's actually going to play the field, he's going to be in left field. That game does not start, I think, for uh, another hour. So um, uh, we'll have to check in maybe, uh, well, that, by the end of the show, it still won't have started. But uh, certainly something to keep tabs on with Michael Brantley finally making uh, making his first appearance. Uh, so I'm guessing, Jim, that you didn't have any concerns about Donaldson. But is this a wait-and-see kind of situation with Brantley to see how he does uh, the next few days? Or do you feel pretty confident about how you're going to uh, treat him from a, a fantasy perspective? I was pretty confident to start with. I mean, I'm, I think I'm the only one that had him ranked in the top 30 out of all of us. I think, what is it, you had him 73? or Yeah, Greg had him 73. You didn't even rank him in our top 75. Nope. So. I had him 26. I was pretty confident on him. I see him basically along the same lines as, uh, I'd say, A.J. Pollock as far as injuries go. He had two good years in a row. He had one down year, and all of a sudden he's gone from a second-slash-third-round pick all the way down to the dumpster. I mean, it's a shoulder injury, yeah, something to be concerned about, but after a month, Give him a little time to work out the kinks, and I think we'll see the same player, and he's going to be a great bargain after round 10, which is 
easily where you can get him now in all drafts. Yeah, if he's even you know a shadow of what he was before all the shoulder problems, uh, he'll be a, a great bargain. Uh, the Rays, maybe not, I don't know if uh, I don't know that this is a bargain necessarily. Although certainly the, the defense that he offers, Kevin Kiermeyer, very valuable to the Rays, and they apparently agree. They have signed him to a six-year, fifty-three point five million dollar extension. And he's really become a, a trendy sleeper pick. And to me, that's almost an oxymoron because once somebody becomes trendy, there's not as much value there anymore. But, uh, you know, still going relatively late. Uh, I will admit that Kiermaier doesn't have as much appeal for me personally as he did uh, in the offseason when I didn't think that many other people would be uh, as, as high on him. But, um, you know, there's two sides to Kiermaier's fantasy value, and one is what he's actually doing on the field and the numbers he's putting up, and the other is how much he helps the Rays uh, pitching staff as well. So uh, how do you feel about Kiermaier going into this year? Is he somebody you're going to try to target late if he's actually still there? Um, As maybe a fallback option, if you had used five outfielders or if you're looking for a bench guy, I might, but you hit it right on the head right in the beginning when you said he's basically a glove guy, and that basically makes him a better real-life player than it would be a fantasy player. He's got a little bit of pop in there, can maybe steal 20 bases, but up near the top of the lineup, he's not going to get any kind of RBIs, and not that great. I mean, there's a good lineup behind him, but not a good enough lineup to where he's going to get enough run production to be that valuable, so... Fifth outfielder, bench guy, maybe, but nobody I'm specifically targeting. Yeah, I, I do like that power speed potential. The power really came on last se- late last season. He also got on base a little bit more, which, well, I think you make a very good point about his RBI potential. I think his run scoring potential is greater uh, than it was uh, for most of last season. But uh, I think I like maybe just a little bit more. Uh, if I wanted to go a little bit lower end, a little cheaper on my fourth outfielder, I think I would go as far as that for Kiermaier. But I think we're, we're pretty much in the same ballpark. And uh, let's get on to some injury news here. J.D. Martinez, who we uh, talked about last show with the right foot injury, he's now going to get a second opinion. Didi Gregorius uh, had an MRI on his right shoulder, but uh, just a, a preliminary test. So he's going for more tests Tomorrow, that being Tuesday, uh, and that report coming from MLB.com, is Gregorius. Now, we're, we're good, later in the show, Jim, we're going to talk about endgame uh, options and, and how we're going to sort them all out. Is Gregorius, does he uh, make that cut for you, or is he off your radar for a 12-team mixed league? Maybe as a late-round middle infielder, as a starting shortstop, I'm skeptical of him just because I'm not really – sold on the power. I do like everything he did last year. I'm just not confident he can repeat. So um, as a middle infielder, yes, but as a starting shortstop in a 12-team league, no. Yeah, I'm with you 100% there. Uh, I'm very skeptical of the power, not really um, getting the great indicators behind the, the 20 home run season for uh, Gregorius, but uh, a, a bit of bad news for him, but we'll know more tomorrow. Teams are uh, starting to solidify the rotations, at least at the top. And so we have two more names to add to the slate of opening day starters, Julio Tehran for the Braves. Of course, that's absolutely no surprise. But at least now we know for sure his first week matchups are going to be at the Mets and at the Pirates. 
And Scott Feldman, that one was a little more controversial. I mean, he, he got into the mix once we knew that Anthony Desclafani was going to be out for an extended period, but Brandon Finnegan was uh, under consideration. But it's going to be Scott Feldman, so that guarantees him a two-start week uh, at home against the Phillies and then on the road uh, versus the Cardinals. And, uh, Jim, I'm going to assume Feldman, not much interest for you except maybe in, in a head-to-head league. Yeah, basically as a streamer option, I'm more interested in Turan getting that first getting that first start. Well, I'm interested in Turan overall, but right. <laughs> Scott Feldman, yeah, head to head streamer option, definitely. Yeah, but Turan now, uh, it, if he wasn't a must start for you, and in shallow leagues, I could see you know certain weeks where you may not start Turan, but a two start week. I think absolutely uh, Toronto's must start all for more mats uh, as we, believe it or not, start to think about week one already. Uh, Drew Pomeranz was uh, pulled early from his uh, last start with uh, a triceps issue, but uh, he apparently is okay and still on schedule to start this coming Friday. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about Pomeranz later on the show when we break down the Red Sox. Uh, Sonny Gray is going to meet with a doctor uh, today, a lat expert, a leading lat expert, and he may possibly get cleared to throw again very soon, uh, depending on the results of that meeting. So that's uh, another news story to certainly keep your eyes on uh, over the next day or so. And then uh, finally, Lance McCullers uh, left a start yesterday against the Yankees. Uh, The issue for him was skin irritation on his right foot. So, you know, when we see it's something of that nature and not related to the, you know, the elbow or the shoulder, I think we generally, you know, do view that as is relatively good news. But again, a situation that that certainly bears watching with McCullers. Uh, get a comfy Jim, pair of socks, slap some calamine lotion on it and get back out there. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, that that would be the, you know, I think probably the reaction a lot of us have, you know, it also, you know, reminds me a little bit of what happened with um, Justin Turner. And, and then, you know, his his skin issue turned out to be MRSA. So I, I try not to be too, you know, glib about these things, you know, and, and not to be overly optimistic until we have all the details. But Hopefully, this is as minor as it would appear to be uh, on the surface. Oh, yeah, I'll have sympathy for him if it does turn out to be serious. But right now, when I see irritation on the skin, it's like I just shake my head. It's like, really? That's like turf toe. Come on. Nope. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's even worse than a turf toe injury for football. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we'll, we'll keep our eyes on that one and uh, keep our fingers crossed. So uh, that's the news for now, and we are ready to head into break. But when we come back... A lot of really interesting uh, stat lines from the games yesterday. We're going to dip into as many of those as we can, so stay tuned. back everybody happy monday once again uh you are listening to fan rag fantasy baseball i'm your host al melchior and with me today is fan rags jim finch and jim uh let's take a look at some of the action from sunday uh there was a lot of it and uh just to give you an idea of how much uh, of it there was there was a great performance by ian kennedy and as i was making out my list of players to talk about today he actually didn't make the cut i mean i suppose we blow through these really quickly maybe we could talk a little bit about ian kennedy he's having a really great spring but in terms of uh kind of the the surprise uh uh 
quotient. Uh, it didn't really rank with some of these other ones. So uh, I don't know if that made an impression on you, but a, a lot of interesting things to cover here. So uh, well, let's start with Lance Lynn. And uh, I don't know if it's so much we're talking about a surprising performance, but certainly I think we were all watching carefully to see how Lance Lynn was doing uh, in his comeback from Tommy John surgery. Overall, it's been good. He threw five scoreless innings against the Braves on Sunday, just three strikeouts, a one walk. And that's really a reflection of what Lynn has done this spring, a 1.29 ERA, but only seven strikeouts in 14 innings. So what do you make of this mixed bag? Um, I mean, he's always been a de- he's always been a decent pitcher. And so, if the strikeouts, even if the strikeouts are close to what they were, um, I'm I take a lot of I'm fairly confident in him. I mean, he's not somebody that many people ranked in their top seventy five. So it's not somebody that anybody's really looking at. A lot of people probably forgot about him because of the Tom and John surgery. So he could actually be a nice. I just, as the cat's out of the bag now, trendy sleeper pick later on in the draft if he continues on this path. I mean, he's still yeah, working. Yeah, because I really haven't. So. Yeah, I think he's been overlooked. Uh, certainly, the drafts that I've done so far. So it will be interesting. I've got two drafts to go. One is tomorrow, uh, and then the, my final one is uh, next weekend uh, as part of Tout Wars. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the the reading is on him there. But yeah, so far he's really been overlooked, and I agree, could be a, a very nice uh, option late uh, in, a, in a big bargain. Carlos Rodon, not, I think, quite as overlooked, but uh, he made his, uh, made his, excuse me, made his first appearance, uh, by the way, if it's not apparent, I'm battling a cold here, so pardon my voice. Uh, he threw four scoreless innings of what was his uh, Cactus League debut, so the White Sox have just been bringing him along slowly to ensure that he won't fatigue during the season, and the initial returns, very, very encouraging. Those four innings against the Angels, one hit, one walk, five strikeouts. So, again, we say over and over again not to read too much into one start, but at least nothing nothing bad to see here about Rodon. Uh, how how you feel about him in general? In general, I think we both pretty much feel the same way about him. We both had him ranked within one spot of each other. I like the strikeout potential. His innings should increase a little bit more this year. I think he can be up to 200 innings. And... The whip took a positive step last year, and so did the walk. So all positive signs going for him, and nice spring training. I think he can be, if he can take that next big step, he could be a solid number three for fantasy. Yeah, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, I think at least in some leagues you could probably get him cheaper than that. But uh, it seems like he's not getting cheaper. I'm just saying what he can be for the final total. Right, 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 exactly. And... You know, I, I liken him in terms of the signs that he gave us uh, late in the season last year to what James Paxton did, and yet it just seems like there's so much more buzz around Paxton, and I'm not exactly sure why that is, but you can use that to your advantage, and if Paxton's a little too pricey, Rodon could be there even later. Now, Yohan Mankata suddenly uh, getting hot in spring training. He uh, went three for five on Sunday against the Angels with a home run and a pair of doubles, so the power is there. Not that that should be any big surprise. Uh, he's now up to three home runs, but he's hitting 317. The strikeouts are the thing. I'm watching with Moncada, and you know it's it's not super encouraging. 14 strikeouts and 46 plate appearances, so you know maybe could be a little worse, but not not a, not a very good strikeout rate there for Moncada. But um, 
Is he uh, how? Where does he rank? And again, not in terms of a particular number, but just generally uh, in terms of the rank and state rank and uh, or rather draft and stash candidates, Jim, that you have. Is he one of the top ones, or kind of take him or leave him? Um, I'm not sure he's someone that I would draft just to the fact that I don't think he's going to make the opening day roster. I'm, I can see him maybe being a June call up. I don't think they're going to want to start a service clock right away. So yeah, first couple months, he's probably going to be on whoever does draft him, probably get a couple injuries. He's probably going to wind up on waivers and you can snag him then, but I wouldn't draft him, but he's definitely someone to keep on the high end of my watch list. Yeah, yeah, and in terms of draft and stash, he's he's pretty high for me. And there's a a flip side to this too that I'm a little not nearly as excited, but a little bit excited about Tyler Saladino, like being the likely second base starter to begin the year. And given that the Red Sox or the White Sox rather are uh, you know likely to be in in sell mode, I could see them trading off Todd Frazier, and then there'd be room for both of them. And Saladino, while he doesn't have anywhere close to the upside that Moncada does. He could be helpful with some some steals and some home runs, you know, maybe a potential fifteen fifteen candidate. So uh, that's a whole kind of complex there, a whole situation that's worth watching. On the downside, Tony Watson, another bad spring outing for him, just two thirds of an inning, three hits, two walks, five runs, just one strikeout. Uh, against the Blue Jays. So now in just four and a third innings, he's already allowed eight earned runs. And he hasn't pitched much in uh, Grapefruit League games. He's been you know, pitching in minor league games and uh, you know, maybe in some other situations. But they've really been keeping him out for the most part of those exhibitions to get a closer look at the other bullpen candidates. But are you worried about Watson's grip on the closer's role in Pittsburgh? I think we had a question on that maybe a week or two ago, someone asking yeah. about Daniel Hudson, if he can be a possible closer. And at the time, I really, I, it was an outside possibility to consider, but it wasn't anything that I was realistically looking at. And now given Watson's struggles, maybe we could see Hudson open up in the uh, closer role, let Watson settle down a little bit. And if that happens, I can see Hudson actually finishing out the year as closer. I don't see them swapping. If one of them takes the job yeah. right out of spring training, then that's it. Yeah, I think that's a distinct possibility. If if that were to happen, um, that is, you know, if if Hudson actually did get the the nod to start with, he could take it and run. I think of the two of them, if you put them in parallel universes and they each got a chance to begin the year as closer, I actually think that Watson is the the less vulnerable one. But, yeah, this is a little bit surprising to me. I actually pegged Watson as my closer to target. Jim, you know, the three of us, you, Greg Jewett and I, we did the draft guide series, and for the relievers and for every other position, you know, we picked a, a single player that we were most likely to target. And for me, Watson was just kind of the sweet spot between the really pricey closers that were just a, a little bit of out, of out of my reach of what I was willing to pay and the really kind of marginal ones that didn't seem worth the trouble, even if they were cheaper. Because Watson's just been so consistent over his career. He had a little bit of a, a bad spell last September, but it was very brief, uh, and I didn't really worry about it. So I hope, I actually really hope that he gets gets the job. And if he doesn't, yeah, it, that, that it may not be open to him again. So that's a worry for me uh, with Watson now. Matt Boyd vying for the fifth starter spot in the Tigers rotation. Another good outing. Five innings, four strikeouts, one run allowed. 
and he has not walked a batter all spring. <laughs> 16 and two-thirds innings, no home runs allowed, which is a big thing for Boyd, no walks allowed, and 16 Ks. Is this a, is this a game changer for you? I think who was uh, he was going up against Sanchez for that final spot, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I, I definitely thought they were going to lead towards Sanchez. I think this is his final year. He's got the contract. So even if Boyd does well, they may give it off to Sanchez just to see if they can pump up his value a little bit, maybe get some trade value out of him if he can bounce back a little. But if Boyd continues like this, he's really going to push the issue to where if Sanchez struggles off the bat, they're going to have to swap. So Boyd may not get the fifth starting job, but if he doesn't, I don't think it'll be long before he takes it over. Uh, yeah, I, that sounds about right to me. Sanchez has had an interesting spring where he started off terribly, made some mechanical adjustments, and then came out, and I think he had a four-perfect-inning uh, outing, if I recall correctly, about a week ago. But, yeah, I would still say I trust Boyd a little bit more, but I, still, I do worry about the home runs with him. So it's great that he's had 16-plus spring innings without allowing one. I don't put too much stock in that. And as far as the great control, that's not a huge surprise because he's not bad as far as being a control pitcher. It's just, it's just the fly ball tendencies with Boyd that's a concern, and I need to see a bit more from him. Eddie Gamboa is working his way possibly into the Rangers rotation situation. Uh, he's, uh, uh, let's see, on Sunday against the Mariners, pitched five innings. And this was, by the way, sort of an emergency start because it was supposed to be Chichi Gonzalez's start. And, uh, you know, now with uh, his injury, uh, he's he's out of, uh, out of the rotation. So Gamboa, uh, five innings, two runs, but none of them earned. Six strikeouts, a walk. He's a knuckleballer. So uh, and he's 32 years old. So not necessarily a ton of upside here, but a good spring. 2.08 ERA for Gamboa. Uh, is this a, a deep league option now, or just uh, you know, kind of a spring curiosity? Uh, spring curiosity it could turn into more. I mean, when you're dealing with a knuckleball pitcher, you never know what's going to happen. These guys just can all of a sudden turn in that year that you just don't expect. But he's also in Texas, so you have the fly ball. Fly balls to worry about for half his home games. It's someone to keep an eye on. No one I would draft, but if he had a decent first couple, you know, two, three starts to start the season, he may work his way into the streamer world. Could be a back-end rotation guy if a couple of those flyers you took at the end of the draft didn't work out. But overall, no one to really uh, target in the beginning. Yeah, well, absolutely. I'm not, you know, even in deep leagues, uh, I'm not even sure he's got value there. But uh, we'll take a look at one more guy. We'll let this uh, spill over a, a bit into the next segment. But uh, Mike Mustakis, he let one loose against the Cubs, third home run of the spring. But he's hitting just 216, and it's really been kind of the Mustakis mo. We talk about not trusting spring stats in the, in the small samples. But he's really kind of doing moose things this spring, uh, maybe to an extreme. Just a two sixteen batting average, a lot of fly balls. So not a lot of strikeouts. That's the thing. Moustakis, not always, uh, in fact, more often than not, not a, a great batting average. But not because he strikes out a lot, just because he hits a lot of fly balls. So uh, is Moustakis somebody you would consider starting in week one? Or are you a little bit concerned of him coming off of the injury and, and having overall not a great spring? As a corner infield, I wouldn't mind starting him. 
I mean, yeah, he's having a rough spring. The power's always been there. The chief concern I've always had with him is the batting average. He had the uh, 284 in 2015, but other than that, it's been uh, fairly pedestrian for his average. So it's kind of a mixed bag. If he can hit for at least 260, I'd say he'd wind up fantasy-worthy. He's worth starting the first couple weeks just to see what he has, but if you have a better corner option, he might be safer leaving him on the bench and... Just seeing what happens there, if you if you can afford that. Yeah, I've got him in a league, so this is uh, this is a question I'm trying to figure out myself. I'm looking for some encouraging signs there, not seeing all that many from Mustakis. Well, we got a couple more uh, players to look at when we come back. Some surprising speed sources, and uh, we'll also uh, spend plenty of time taking a deep look at the Red Sox roster. So stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host for the show. With me today is Jim Finch, also from FanRag Sports. And before we uh, finish up our discussion of Sunday's standout performers, uh, just a quick programming note. Uh, Normally, you would be able to hear us again on Thursday, uh, but we are not going to be on the air uh, on, uh, on Thursday. Instead, you're going to get a very special edition of Shock Callers. But we will be back on Friday, and when I'm back on Friday, I will be in the uh, Fantasy uh, Sports Radio studios, and uh, we'll be beginning our weekend coverage of the Tout Wars auction. So uh, hope uh, you come back for that. Uh, should be a great time. We'll have uh, several of the people from Tout Wars uh, on, again on Sunday. And uh, I know there's going to be a, a lot of coverage of that uh, on the uh, network, so uh, looking forward to that, but that'll be the next time that I'm on Friday. So, uh, we will not be on this Thursday. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Jim, let's, uh, just talk about a couple of the other performers from yesterday who, uh, who certainly caught my eye, uh, in, in what they're doing with stolen bases this spring. And neither one was really a player I was thinking much about, even though, They've, they've been speedy players. One is Delino DeShields. I just didn't think there was going to be room for him as a regular, but he's having such a nice spring that uh, you know maybe he's going to force the issue and, and claim a spot in the outfield. Two more stolen bases on Sunday against the Mariners. Now got seven stolen bases in seven attempts. Uh, is he suddenly a late-round stolen base source for you, or are there there's still better options out there? Maybe for deep leagues, you take a chance on him just in case, you know, Shinsho Chu or someone gets an injury. But like you said, I don't see a place for him in the starting lineup. He's got the speed, so definitely a pitch runner, maybe a late-inning defensive option in there to where he gets on base, which we really can't count on much for fantasy. So real life, he'll be good. But without an opening, I don't see much hope for playing time for him. Yeah, I mean, I think the one possibility maybe is left field. Where uh, you know it would seem jerks and Profar would have the edge there, that would seem to be but the, the best case scenario. But like you say, uh, it just may come down to uh, an injury. Chu would you know based on history be a, a prime candidate there. But um, yeah, he's uh, certainly at least making it a little more interesting than I would have expected. And staying in Texas, but going to the Astros, Derek Fisher, who will likely start Triple A. He got another stolen base against the Yankees on Sunday, and that makes it 7-for-7 seven seven for Fisher, just like for uh, DeShields. 
And unlike the Shields, Fisher's actually got a, a bit of pop in his bat. So clearly not going to be somebody that you would draft to uh, with the expectation that he's going to make the Astros opening day roster. Uh, probably not somebody you would necessarily draft in a standard league even to just stash for later. But uh, I'll admit he's now on my radar for deeper leagues as a draft and stash candidate because I think the opportunity could be there. Uh, maybe in left field if Nori Aoki doesn't uh, hit as well as he did late last season. Uh, Fisher, at some point, he's going to be ready for the majors, and I would think the Astros would have to find some room for him. Uh, do you, you agree with that assessment, or am I being too oh, I agree with that. I agree with that because not only Aoki, Reddick isn't really a uh, solid hitter, so you have another opportunity right there. Beltran's older, so you have the possibility of injuries with him. So in another month or so, there could be plenty of opportunity for him, and he's just the kind of name that he's not a big name to where he's not on a lot of prospect lists where people are looking for him that you could easily grab when he comes up without having to run to the waiver wire, and he can be a nice, uh, sneaky sneaky uh, speed guy to grab yeah, in I May agree. or June. Yeah, I agree, and not a one-dimensional guy either, which is nice. So uh, definitely a name just to uh, to tuck away, even in uh, standard mixed leagues. So as promised, I've uh, been saying we're going to take a look at the Red Sox. Um, you know, they were in the news in the past 24 hours or so with the uh, Drew Pomeranz injury, which now appears to be very minor. But uh, it's it's a it's a, obviously a strong roster all the way around. And yet one that I think does, for fantasy purposes, have some question marks, and we'll stop start you know right at the very top in terms of fantasy value. Mookie Betts, um, he's been pretty much the consensus number two pick in uh, in drafts everywhere. <laughs> but there have been some dissenters, and I wrote a piece a few weeks back that uh, if I I haven't had the uh, opportunity to pick second, but if I did, uh, I would actually take Jose Altuve. Uh, are you on Team Bets, or uh, is there somebody you like better in that second spot? I can't tell you the last time I've had the number one or number two pick in any <laughs> draft, so I don't even look at these guys as far as how much value they can have. <laughs> I mean, I, lo- I hate the idea of drafting an outfielder first. Obviously, if I get a shot at Mike Trout, I'm taking him. Mookie Betts? I'm intrigued by the power. I love the speed. I love the overall package he has. But I'm also getting flashbacks of Bryce Harper when he had that big year and everyone put him up on a pedestal and we're taking him over Trout in some leagues. And he didn't live up to expectations. I don't see that same kind of collapse at Mookie Betts, but I think you can easily make a case for Altuve or even a Paul Goldschmidt who's shown the consistency over the years or as much as people hate to admit it, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, you can yeah. make a case for any of these guys. I think you can make a case for any of those three, and I've also heard, and it may have even been Greg Jewett, uh, I know that I've, I've, I've heard and read the case made for Nolan Arenado. Uh, so, you know, I, it, to me it's not a uh, an open and shut case for bets. I had not heard the Harper comparison made before. I could see where you're coming with that. I'd say one point in Betts' defense is that Harper, when he was being taken one or two in most leagues, had that injury history already behind him, and uh, that you know not not as much the case with Betts, but uh, I, I do th- I feel like it should be a more contested situation than it is. But clearly, 
if not number two, you know, probably number three. I mean, Betts is, is one of the top talented producers in fantasy. So going a little bit further down in terms of value, Andrew Benintendi's been, I think, an interesting uh, person to watch in terms of where he's going. Really not been as polarizing as I would have expected, given the very limited track record. Uh, I mean, pretty much everybody seems to be on board with Benintendi as a number three or four outfielder. Does that uh, does that ring right for you? For a number three or number four, yeah, it's absolutely right. It's the ones that are reaching higher for him that I just don't get. I mean, he's going to hit for a good average. I can see him being a 300 hitter, but he's 22 years old. He still has some growing pains. The power is not fully developed yet, so I can't see him hitting more than 15 home runs. But a 15-15-300 season isn't out of the question for him. But the people that are expecting more than that and reaching for him, I think that's where the mistakes are being made. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, as you go around the horn with the Red Sox, you know, like I said, there's some, there's some interesting players here, but, you know, a lot of them, I mean, they, they kind of are who they are. I mean, uh, you know, Jackie Bradley, Dustin Pedroia, uh, you know, these guys are going to be, uh, you know, mid, mid-round, you know, uh, mid-round picks. And, and, you know, we pretty much have a sense of, of who they are. Uh, we ta- I talked with Greg yesterday on the show about Pablo Sandoval, and while there's been encouraging signs, he's not really on either of our radars. But you know, one player who, um, or I should not even player, a position that really I think very few people have been talking about is catcher. And you got Sandy Leon, who became very popular late last season because out of nowhere he got got super hot. But I think everybody's writing that off and, and viewing him as a serious regression candidate. You got Christian Vasquez, who everybody views as glove first and not all that fancy relevant. But then there's Blake Swihart, who's having a nice spring. And I don't imagine he's going to start the season with the team. But in, in a two-catcher league, uh, he's somebody I'd be interested in stashing. Uh, of the three, I mean, is there anybody that interests you at all? I'm more interested in Swihart. I mean, I don't understand why they moved him off the catcher position in 2016, and then they tried to experiment, maybe try and move him to the outfield, give him more versatility. I I understand that from a team point of view, but the guy had a good enough debut in 2015 where he hit 274, five home runs, four stolen bases, and under 300 at-bats. So you could be looking at uh, JT Real Muto kind of numbers if given a uh, full season of at-bats. So he shows the most promise, but he doesn't seem to be the one that the team is the highest on, which is a shame. So he'd be the one that I would want from a personal standpoint, but I don't think they're going to go that way. I think they'll go Leon and Vasquez, and if one of those two falter, then Sweetheart will maybe get his get an opportunity to get back in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for that because he's the one that I, I mean, Leon's a little bit intriguing just because he put up good numbers for an extended period. Although he did eventually tail off, which which definitely plays into the regression uh, narrative, but uh, yeah, Swihart is is definitely the one I'm I'm rooting for, and that's going to have to be a game of patience with him because uh, you know I don't imagine he'll he'll be uh, catching any time early in the season for the Red Sox. Now uh, moving on to the rotation, David Price. Of course, we've talked about a lot the last few weeks. Uh, everybody dis- is discounting him. But I think so to me, Rick Porcello is actually now maybe the most interesting one in the rotation because I think he is somewhat polarizing. And I've seen people, uh, 
either drafting him or or recommending others, you know, draft him at not much of a discount from his Cy Young performance. I mean, everybody's discounting it to some degree. But then I see other people who really thought that last year was a complete fluke. So where where do you fall on that spectrum? Yeah, I fall in the latter half. I think I look at last year as a complete fluke. I put him in the same same tier that I put uh, Phil Hughes in a few years ago. He had a great year. I'm not going to discount anything that Rick Porcello did last year. He had a phenomenal year. But you know what? He didn't do anything different. I mean, if you look at all his peripherals, not much changed about the man. He just got better results. I've seen talk about his grip and how he, his uh, pitch selection and things like that, but you know, that changes from year to year. The way you throw, that doesn't, and it didn't for him last year. He just got better results, and I think the luck is going to run out this year, and you're not going to see bad numbers from Porcello, but you're not going to see that number three pitcher that everyone is drafting and expecting. Yeah, so the, yeah, that is more than just a little regression then, to be sure. So we've got a, a couple other players that I think would be important to touch on, so we'll... Uh, we will talk about that, but we're going to have to do it after the break. And also, uh, we will talk about some of our endgame dilemma, end dilemmas. So stay tuned. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I am your host, Al Melchior, and with me today is Jim Finch, also from FanRag. We were in the midst of our Red Sox roster breakdown. And we actually left off by talking about Rick Porcello. And just to, to toss in my two cents, uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic on Porcello. I don't expect a repeat of uh, you know, his Cy Young uh, elite fantasy performance from last season. I would just disagree a bit with the idea that he was a completely unchanged pitcher last year because he did pitch with better control. I also completely hear you jim and what you're saying in terms of you know even if when there are changes from one year to the next who's to say that there's not going to be a completely different set of changes from that year to the following year so there were changes i'll I'll disagree with you there i will agree with you that there isn't the the track record to support our confidence in porcello being a top flight starter i get that uh, I think that there was enough there last year that I would be comfortable drafting Porcello as a number three, so that's not an overwhelming uh, vote of confidence on my part. But uh, I'm going to give him at least some credit for what he did last year with the improved control and the ability to to uh, avoid hits on balls in play. So for whatever that's worth, I just had to toss that in there as well. <laughs> so, um, no, final word. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, let's let's t- talk about just a couple other pitchers, too, while we're at it. Eduardo Rodriguez, he'll be in the rotation with Price out. And I really, really liked Rodriguez a lot last year. I'm glad that I'm not glad that David Price uh, is hurt, but I'm, I'm glad that at least uh, there, that provides the opportunity for Rodriguez to stay in the rotation. And I could see him pitching well enough that he then, you know, could stay in place of maybe Drew Pomeranz uh, when, when Price comes back. Um, I wrote a, a little bit about Stephen Wright for FanRag recently. I actually, taking a closer look at him, I like him uh, a little better than I initially did. So uh, I, th- I think Wright could probably be pretty secure there. But I, I think that there, there is an opportunity for, uh, for Rodriguez. Uh, do you agree, or do you think he is just merely a fill-in? 
I've always been high on him. I just question whether he is ready for the majors. I mean, I love the strikeout ability. The contact could use a little bit of bit of work. Fly balls worry me a little bit, but he gives up a lot of soft contact. So he does some things right. He does some things wrong to give you kind of mixed feelings to where if he could put it all together, I can see him being a decent fantasy starter. I'm just, I'm just not completely sold that he is that guy yet. But he, if he did get a rotation spot, he'd be somebody I would roll the dice on with, you know, one of those end game twenty to twenty five picks just to throw a dart at a pitcher. But I like him, but I'm not counting on him. Uh, all right. Well, I'm gonna skip ahead, and then we're, we're gonna come back. But you, you. You, you were helping me with the segue I wasn't ready for yet because we are going to talk about those endgame picks. Now, you, you tossed out a couple of names uh, that you were going to talk about. So I think that's a fascinating idea of uh, targeting Rodriguez late. You also listed Luis Severino and Jose Barrios as potential late rounders. So how do, rather than stack one-on-one, how would you rank those three? Um. Between Barrios, Rodriguez, and and Severino, Severino. I would. I'm, I'm hesitant to put Barrios first just because I'm not sure he's ready yet. But he had a lot of bad luck last year, a little bit more than Severino. So I would probably go Barrios, Severino. I can go either or on those two, and then Rodriguez, just because I know those two have a job. But I'm less confident in what any. I'm really not confident in any of them, but I'd probably go Barrio Severino and Rodriguez. Yeah, I'd put Rodriguez at the top, both from a skills perspective and from, I'd say, from a job security uh, perspective, because I don't think any of them uh, have uh, a guaranteed job throughout the year. And, and I actually have the most confidence that Rodriguez is going to be in a rotation on opening day. So uh, I'd put him ahead of the other two, but you know, I just thought that was... That was an interesting juxtaposition. And we're going to come back to those uh, dilemma pairings. But I also just want to, before we leave the Red Sox uh, for good today, Craig Kimbrell, just a couple years ago, was really the unquestioned elite. Uh, Of course, now there's a lot of really uh, great pitchers at the top to choose from. Uh, Do you still place Craig Kimbrell alongside of uh, Kenley Jansen, Zach Britton, Raltus Chapman, uh, does he belong there, or is he has he fallen enough that he's really in the second tier now? I think he's in the second tier now. I mean, the walks have gone up enough to where between the walks and the fly ball rate, the declining soft contact rate, he's now has that ERA that you can pretty much guarantee will be in the three three and a half range. So he's no longer a low two guy as far as the ERA goes. He still has the strikeouts. He's still throwing hard, but. If the ERA is up in the three range, that just bumps you down a category for me. He still has the whip and strikeouts and saves, but that one category knocks him from one tier to the next for me. Yeah, well, for me, it's more the whip. Um, you know, just walked so many batters last year. That's something that definitely he, he could correct. He could rebound in that regard. But because there's even doubt there, I, I, for me, it does put him at least a half step below the, the elites uh, for me, to be sure. It's surprising, so, uh, though. Even yeah. with that many walks, he only had a 109 whip. So well, it yeah, does say something about him. Yeah, it, no, it does. It does. I, just, I think it just makes him more vulnerable to the possibility of 
getting north of one and, and maybe more than just a little bit north. And he's still, I mean, he's still a top, you know, five or six reliever for me, but he's not right there with Jansen Chapman and, and uh, you know, the others that are right there. Uh, Britain uh, for some Melanson would be right there. So he's, he's a bit below for me. But you, you did start us on a segue a couple minutes ago, Jim, towards some in-game dilemmas. We've got quite a few that I know we were planning to talk about. Not sure we're going to get to all of them, but we've already uh, talked about Severino and Barrios. You also say you've got a dilemma late, a potential dilemma, if you need to fill first base or, or corner infield. Josh Bell and Justin Bohr. So uh, who are you going to take here and why? Um, I'm still up in the air about this one. I mean, coming before before the injury, well, it was only a minor injury, but before that, I was a big Josh Bell guy. But given that he could be uh, splitting time a little bit to start off with, and now getting the news that Justin Bohr will be getting a chance to show what he can do about left-handed hitters, that gives him a little bit more value. I mean, I don't know if he can hit lefties. I always thought of him as that platoon righty guy that I can pair with someone else, and I was intrigued by his numbers there. But as a full-time bat now, I'm definitely moving Bohr up, but I'm not sure which one I'm going to take. Bell's got the average advantage, and Bohr has the power advantage. So I'm sort of 50-50 on those two right now. Well, and you know, and I could could make this easy on both of us and say that it's really circumstantial if you're in a roto league or if you're in any kind of categories league. Because if you want power, to me, it's no no question you go Bore. And if you're worried about batting average, there's no question you go Josh Bell. And partly just because that's more in Bell's wheelhouse than it is Bore's just in general. But also now Bore, if he's going to hit against lefties, I worry that that's that could hurt his batting average. So if you're going to force me to flip a coin, I think I'll I'll go Bore. And it's it's probably just a bias on my part for knowing what he can produce as opposed to the uncertainty of whether or not Josh Bell will hit for average as a major leaguer. I suspect he will. And who knows? Maybe he could exceed expectations and, and have more power than I expect. But I'd give Bohr the edge uh, there. Uh, all right. right, let's. Uh, I've got a few uh, that I uh, had prepared here. So uh, Corey Dickerson and Keon Broxton. Those are both uh, outfielders I could consider late. Broxton, I think, is definitely getting a lot more uh, enthusiasm behind him. But uh, of those two, who do you like? Uh, I know Broxton has that power speed, but the strikeouts and average worry me. Dickerson last year, I saw some interesting changes with him where he started to sacrifice a little bit of the power for contact. So I I would probably take a shot on him just for the bounce back, maybe with the average, and I think he can... He could be a better overall hitter than Broxton, but Broxton could wind up putting up the better counting stats if he gets a better average. But I'm well, going Dickerson. Good way to end, because I feel like we're in a minority, but I am Team Dickerson as well. So, Jim, thank you for helping me out there. Thank you for a great show today. And uh, like I said before, we'll be back Friday, not Thursday. So we will see you Friday. We'll be uh, from Tout Wars Live. See you then. Have a great day.